have you with us today. Uh, you may want to know why I'm dressed as I am. I'm trying to get my mindset for missions contribution. So if you'd like to wear any of your Caribbean or uh, African attire the next couple of weeks, please feel free to do so. Because on, on June 11th, we're going to have a historic day in the New York City Church of Christ. We're going to take up our annual missions contribution, and it's going to be a great victory to God's glory. So let's all be praying about that. And you may be wondering, well, what is the goal? Uh, the goal is simply to do the best you possibly can. Uh, I was speaking to the elders this week, and you know we've had this goal of give at least $365 per member. And, and, and that was a great goal, and, and we met it as a church, and God was glorified. But now we're going to take it a little higher in the years to come. Uh, we're going to be striving for 10 times per member. And so you can be praying about that. I mean, some of you may be able to do that this year, but definitely next year to set that as a goal. And that way we can uh, see more people added to our staff, as well as continue to do good work throughout the world as we help support the 600 plus churches that are part of our fellowship and the 100,000 plus disciples that are meeting today to give glory to God. I wanted today to do a simple lesson as we uh, prepare our hearts and mind for this great change of season. Aren't you thankful to God for the change of seasons? Uh, man, I've been really waiting on this, and it was like spring was never going to come. Uh, we had some difficult weeks there in the month of, of May. I didn't know what was going on. But now uh, spring has come. Matter of fact, summer came a couple of days <laughs> before spring got here. And now we're, we're kind of in the spring of the year. And so we're going to be looking at lessons we can learn from David and Bathsheba. Lessons we can learn from David and Bathsheba. Let's pray together as we get started. Our God and Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us examples of what it means to love you, to have faith in you, to surrender to you, to live lives that are pleasing to you and that are worthy of the cross. Uh, Father, we know we need your power and your love and your grace because Without you, there's no way that we could even get close to attaining uh, those types of, of meeting that kind of standard or living that kind of life. Uh, Father, thank you also for the lessons we can learn from those who have fallen short. Uh, Father, we know these things are written so that we would not fall into the same traps that they fell into, but that we can learn and avoid those things and be an example before others, and to live lives that really give you honor. Bless our time together today. Uh, Father, speak to us. May your spirit be among us and help us to leave here more convicted and more convinced to live lives worthy of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So, we learn uh, here in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, this is where we have the story of David and Bathsheba. And David is one of my favorite Bible characters. I mean, God raised him up from a youth. Uh, he started off 
uh, as a man after God's own heart. And he slew Goliath. He led Israel in its many campaigns. He united uh, Israel and Judah. Uh, they became one kingdom under him. Men came from all over to, to work with him. He and his mighty men took Israel to unparalleled heights as far as uh, their power and their unity and their respect as a nation. And there he was, literally, sitting on top of the world. I mean, God had blessed him. The people were with him. Everything was going so great, so incredible. And, and we know that, that uh, he had written so many wonderful things through the Psalms, his prayers to God. Uh, what an incredible, incredible example uh, this man was in his spiritual life. And then here comes along 2 Samuel chapter 11. And this story is not included in the, in the, in the chronicles of David's life. When you read First and Second Chronicles, you don't see this story. But you do see it here in Samuel's uh, account of this, in Second Samuel. And we're going to begin in verse 11. And you know the story, so I won't uh, go through all the details. But I want us to walk away with our minds set and, and, and remembering some of the things that we need to learn from David's life. In 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 it says, In the spring at the time when kings go out to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uriah the Hittite, by the way, was one of David's mighty men. Now David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept with him, with, with, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. That is a real story. You know, one of the things I appreciate about God's word is that God doesn't hold back on showing us the good and the bad. He lays it all out. Because he wants us to to see the realities of what men and women in the Bible went through. The Bible is not a book of fairy tales. It's a book of men and women just like you and I who had their faults, who had their failures, who at times had incredible victories, but at other times fell so far short of what God wanted them to be. You see, God had raised David up in a marvelous way. And we all know him as, as God was seeking a king to replace uh, King Saul. We know David as the man after God's own heart because Saul's heart was full of pride and arrogance. 
and God removed him and put David in here, and David led Israel for 40 years. But he had a bad day, church. He had a bad time in his life. He had a time when he wasn't about the Lord's business. And all the kings were off the war and they were involved in battle and David just decided, today I'm taking a vacation. I'm staying home. But here's the problem. When you take a vacation, the devil doesn't. He's alive and well and he's always looking for an opportunity and that will be one of the points that we make today. But let's talk about some of the lessons that we need to learn from this story. And I'm sure you have your own list of lessons and, that you've learned from this. And I encourage you to, to study those and to hold on to those. But let me share you a, with, with you a few that I think are very clear from this story today. Number one, anyone can fall. Anyone can fall. No matter how strong you think you are spiritually, no matter where you are right now in your walk of God, and you may feel like you're walking on, on, on the water right now, that you've never done so well spiritually, and there's no way you could ever fall into sin, well, be careful. Because you can fall, and if we're all honest, we have fallen. And praise God for His grace, amen, because... We know that we fall short. But here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse the Bible says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful what, church? That you don't fall. If you think you're so strong, if you think that you're immovable and nothing can touch you, be careful. We need to have a sober estimate of ourselves. And, and, and we do have a great scripture that follows this, that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. God's faithfulness is not the issue. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So we can never say, well, I wasn't able to overcome it or it overwhelmed me. It was too powerful. No, God doesn't tempt us with more than we can bear. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, when you're tempted, he'll do what? He'll also provide a way out. Was there a way out for David when he saw Bathsheba on that rooftop? Absolutely. We don't know the guy's name. The Bible just says the man. The man said, David, isn't this Bathsheba? Now, he knew he couldn't challenge the king. He couldn't just go, King David, you know you're wrong. Don't do that. He just said, David. Isn't this, let me remind you, isn't this Bathsheba, this woman, isn't this the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah? Isn't she married to one of your best friends, to one of your 30 mighty men? Isn't she? That's all you can say sometimes. Let me let you in on something. Sometimes we're just stupid. And we can't stop people from doing stupid things. You know, sometimes we, we try to control people's lives. God doesn't even try to control people's lives. He gives you the freedom to be stupid or he gives you the freedom to be righteous. So, 
it's, and, and I, I say that because I think sometimes in the church we're trying to control people's actions. We used to have a policy, uh, I didn't practice it, but some practice it, where they called it belt looping. And belt looping was that you stayed with, some, no one was able, you stayed with the person 24 hours a day. They didn't have any freedom because you didn't want them to fall into sin. So somebody would belt loop them. That means that I'm going to be with you all the time so that you won't fall. Now, here's the thing. It never works. Because you can't be with somebody 24 hours a day. And if somebody wants to sin, you can lock them up in a cage and they'll figure out a way to make it happen. Anyone can fall. Including you, including me. Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth and he fell. Judas saw Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000, then feed the 4,000. And he still fell into sin. Anybody can fall. Let me tell you what. Satan has a, a lot less chance of taking you out if you know that you're vulnerable. I know what I am. I am a sinner. Anybody else agree with me? I know I'm a sinful man. That's why I'm going to run from the devil because I know he can catch me. But the Bible says that if you flee from him, if you resist him, he'll flee from you. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we come before God this morning totally humble, totally humble. We're not looking, talking about I'm more righteous than this person or I'm more spiritual than this person. You better shut up and hold on to Jesus. You setting yourself up for disaster. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says there's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never said. And you might be saying, except me. And you already been set up to fall. Let's be careful not to be self-righteous. You know, even as people come to you and confess their sins, you need to show compassion. You need to show grace. And yes, call them to repentance and call them back to God's standard. But don't sit there going, how could you ever do that? I would never do that. Sometimes we compare other people to us. How could you ever do that? I could never, I would never do that. Be careful. Be careful. Do you think David ever thought that he would end up committing adultery? You think he, he, he had that in his, he put that in his journal, one day I might fall? No. He didn't ever think he could fall into that, but he did. Be careful not to judge others. Be careful. When the Bible says do not judge, this is what it means. Do not judge other people's spiritual fate. That's God's job. Now in the church, we're to make sure that people are living righteously and call them to the standard of, of the Bible. But we're not to look down on anyone. Be careful not to think that you're above it all because if you think you're standing tall, be careful that you don't fall. Next point. First one is anyone can fall. Number two, Satan never gives up. 
he never gives up. You know, Juan in his communion message, and I appreciate all the stories that Juan, Juan told this morning. Wonderful story. He's a great storyteller, isn't he? Uh, but Satan never gives up. And Juan was talking about how we can never retire as Christians. Let me tell you something. Satan never retires. He never gets tired. He's always looking for an opportunity. You know, we're all thinking sometimes that maybe he just leaves us alone. <laughs> Peter, who really knew how Satan could tempt people, he tells us, he says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, does what? Prowls around like a roaring lion looking for what? Someone to devour. He's always looking. He's always looking for that moment, that moment of weakness, that moment of temptation, that moment when, when, when your anger gets the best of you, that moment when, when lusts are, are, are coming after you, that moment when you're on the internet and you know you're a place where you shouldn't be. He's always there. On the job, when you know that you, you shouldn't go there, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't think that, he's right there, waiting to pounce. He tells us to resist him, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings and challenges. We're all in this battle together, aren't we? Jesus was tempted, and the Bible says that the devil just left him until a more opportune time. He never gave up. It's just that the opportunity never came. Jesus remained righteous. But in your life, in my life, he's waiting on that opportunity. He's just waiting. He's patient. And he's hoping that you'll slip up so he can step in and take advantage. You may take the day off, but Satan never does. David let his guard down just one day. And maybe he just thought, man, I've been warring and, and fighting and, and struggling and battle after battle. I deserve this. I deserve some time off. So I'm staying home. Go up on the rooftop. And then he saw this woman. And I'm sure everybody in us could, could tell me what he should have done when he saw Bathsheba over there. And, and don't be blaming Bathsheba. Even though that's not the best thing to be doing on a rooftop. But he didn't have to call her. He didn't have to ask any more questions. She just got off the rooftop and says, you know what, where are they fighting at? I'm going to fight. I, I, I just got to go. I got to go kill something because the devil is trying to kill me. Let me tell you something. Satan's got a plan for you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you may say, well, Sam, I've been a Christian for so long. He's like, so? My wife is strong in the Lord, so? My husband, he's a rock, he's an iron man Christian, really? I go to church every Sunday, so what? He 
you've got to give up. And we've got to be aware of that. And we've got to always keep our guard up because he never, and it doesn't matter what you call, you can be a deacon, you can be a deaconess, you can be, you know, right reverend, pastor, it does not matter. He is not intimidated by titles. He'll still take you out. Satan never gives up church. Am I right, church? Next, I don't know, this might be number three. We are always at war with the sinful nature. Can I get always? How often? Here again, sometimes we think that we reach a spiritual pinnacle and it's like, I have conquered my sinful nature. I will know, I will never give in to anger again. I will never lust again. I will never ever have another evil thought. It's behind me. Behind me. I'm done with it. No more insecurities in my life. I'm walking with Jesus. Righteous, holy, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Can't touch this. I put myself, I repented, baptized, sin is over. Done with. Really? You are set up for disaster. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about his struggle with sin. And really starts off in verse 14. I don't have time to go through all of it when he says that I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know y'all can't relate to this, but he, he, he's just saying, man, I know what's right. I can't even make myself do it. I know I should pick up that Bible and read it, but the good, I know I should have do, I didn't do it. Why didn't I do it? I know the Spirit told me, do not say that. Don't say that. I know I shouldn't have said it, but, but I said it anyway. That's your sinful nature. My, my, you know, the Spirit's telling me, no, 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 don't, don't go there. Do not go there. Do not look at that. Do not turn that on. Turn it off. I turned it on anyway. That's your sinful nature. Let me tell you, it, it doesn't take a holiday. It's there. It's there. We all have our stuff. And he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself would do it, but it is sin living in me. And then he goes on in verse 24, I mean 21, he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love God's law. I praise God's law. I know it's right. I've memorized God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Waging what, church? War. What are we in? A war. We're in a war. We're in a battle. It's the spring of the year. You better put on 
on your spiritual armor and get ready for war. Because Satan and temptation is after the members of the Vox region of the New York City Church of Christ. It's time to get ready for war. Now you don't go out in a, in a battle without your spiritual armor on. Or you'll get annihilated. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the war, the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man as I am. Now, what a wretched man I am. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, who in here is more spiritual than Paul was? I double dog dare you to raise your hand. Some of us, we, we, we get so righteous, we won't even admit that we're a sinner. We can't even say it. Well, I used to be a sinner. Really? Definitely not a sinner like you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an entry-level sinner. I don't sin that much. I'm a minor sinner, not a major sinner. And everybody here will tell you that sin is what? Sin is sin. Sin is sin. So when he goes on, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? As long as we're in this tent, as long as we're in this earthen vessel, we're going to be at war because this flesh wants to be gratified. And I want you to understand it, church. It's time to fight the good fight. Temptation is temptation. Temptation is not a sin. He saw Bathsheba. Wow, she's beautiful. The Bible says she's beautiful. The Bible does not exaggerate. Girl was drop dead gorgeous. Temptation. He hasn't done anything wrong yet. Oh, okay. She's beautiful. What next? Temptation is a part of living. Man, well, we're all faced temptation, right? Except for the real spiritual among you. There are a few people so spiritual. But I'm talking to the rest of us normal people. We go through temptation. We go through temptation. Man, you married, you face temptation. Your husband says something to you, and you go, What? You know what? I want to tell this fool exactly how I feel. But you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I love you, honey. I love you. Your wife, you just got home. And she's like, what about this? What about this? What about that? And you're like, woman? Here I am. I'm tired. What? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say. You see a woman on the street? Are there, there are beautiful women in here? There are beautiful women everywhere. And they, they're coming out. It's not a temptation when you first see her. You first see her. It's like, okay, now you have to deal with it. 
Now you got to say, okay, that's it. That's it. I mean, I was at driving past the Home Depot, and I thought this woman came by. She was dressed in a bathing suit in the middle of the day. Thanks be to God. Amen, church. Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't even go back to Home Depot. I got to order my stuff online. Peter tells us, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which do what? War against your soul. I love the scriptures that it does not water it down. It makes it plain and simple. It's a war. It's a war. And we're all in that battle. And we need to help each other to fight that battle. Because you do a lot better if you understand that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same challenges. Your sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same challenges. Talk to me. Call me, text me, pray for me, encourage me, hold me accountable, and help me to win that war in my life today. Amen? Take it one day at a time. And, and David just, there was nobody there. And there was no sister telling Bathsheba, where are you going? I'm going to see David. No, you're not. Well, he's the king, you know. I don't care. He's not the king of kings, and he's not the Lord of lords, so tell him no. Tell him no, but she did not tell him no, did she? And the result, the consequences, were devastating. Okay, let's go on to the next point. Idleness leads to sin. Now, some of you would say idleness is a sin. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. But you know, the Bible does not condemn us for taking a vacation we take a little time I think sometimes we need some time to recreate ourselves kind of enjoy getting a little rest step back from the hustle and bustle right? we need that right? you know prop your feet up a little bit get a little ice cold tea your wife come and she rubs your feet pushes. I know you're dreaming but you can dream she brings you your favorite drink and brings you your meal and says, honey, just relax. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. It should be. It w- would be wonderful. <laughs> your husband comes and he says, no, no work today. Just chill out. That's happening on Mother's Day, I hope. Right? Well, okay. <laughs> but we need some time and, and there's and it's nothing wrong with it, you know, to withdraw. But idleness is not that. Idleness is just laziness. It's, it's just 
just just not obeying, doing, engaging in the work of the Lord and the will of the Lord, and and that's why we're warned. We're told to warn those who are idle, those who who won't move, who won't engage, who won't commit to the body, who won't get in the Word of God, who who won't get disciple, who won't be involved in evangelism. Warn them because idleness is dangerous. David was idle. He wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. And it's a lot easier for Satan to hit a stationary top object than it is for him to hit a moving object. See, some of you in your early days of disciple, and I know maybe the schedule was maybe a little bit too much for you, but you were so busy, you didn't even have time to sin. It's like... Bro, how you doing? I'm just tired, man. What's next? I mean, it's like, we didn't have 10. You know, when I was a young Christian, I went to church. My first church service was Sunday school. Then we had church service. Then that afternoon, we had a student supper. And then after student supper, we had evening service. Monday night, I took Acts class. Tuesday night, I had Bible talk. Wednesday night, I had midweek. Thursday night, I had another Bible talk. Friday night, I had campus Devo. Saturday night, if I was lucky, I had a date. I mean, it's like, I didn't have to sit. I didn't have time. Now, we got a lot of time. And be careful. Be careful. He says, well, I feel like people are asking me to do too much. Busy Christians are going to defeat temptation and Satan better than lazy Christians. And you're like, well, I just, I just don't want, I, I mean, I don't want people taking my time. Well, you need to use your time for the Lord because let me tell you, if you don't give it to the Lord, Satan is going to take it. Idleness, man, you, I, I got to get moving. I got to get moving. I mean, we've, we've tried some things lately, and, I, and I'm thankful. But you know, June 7th, the brothers are going to meet. We're going to have midweek. I apologize to those of you who may have changed your schedules, and I, I'm sorry. But I met with some brothers the other day. You know what they told me? They said, we need discipleship. talking about the sisters. I'm talking about the brothers. <laughs> okay, the sisters need discipleship too. And let me tell you, in this crazy busy world, you won't get it if you don't make it happen. You gotta go after it. You, you, gotta, you gotta change your schedule. You gotta make some sacrifices. But you, you're better off because the Bible says two are better than one. And according is stronger. So I need people in my life. And here David and Bathsheba, they didn't have anybody. Idol. Proverbs 21 says, The sluggish craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. I'm a lot better Christian and I'm involved with disciples, when I'm involved with the lost, when I'm involved with serving, I do so much better spiritually. Am I right, church? 
And we all need that. James tells us, resist the devil. Resist him. And resisting him is not just going. <laughs> you got to move. Because the, the next thing, he says, and he will flee from you. you you've got to resist. You resist him by drawing near to God. By getting involved in the kingdom. You can't just put your hand out there. A lion coming at you, you go. We got to get more involved. We have to be committed to the kingdom. All right, let's 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 wrap this up. Last point: God's grace abounds. I want to I want you to hear this one. You've got to understand and hold on to the grace of God. David messed up. Did God forgive him? Absolutely God did. I mean, the punishment was he lost the child. That was one of the consequences. But God forgave him. And God is quick to forgive. David wrote Psalm 51 where he said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And this was written after he fallen into this sin. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's not blaming Bathsheba. He's not blaming the circumstances. He said, it's my fault. So that you approve right when you speak and justified when you judge. He goes on and says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Let me tell you something. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, the grace of God is powerful enough to cover it all. You can start over today, but you've got to understand the grace of God. God is so merciful. He's so loving. He's so forgiving. He's just waiting for us to repent. He's waiting for us to acknowledge that we've sinned. And immediately, instantly, He washes away our sins. Oh yes, we may still feel the sting of, of our actions. But we can know right now that the moment I say, God, Please forgive me. He does. And he forgives all of it for all time. That's the heart of God. That's the wonderful nature of our loving God. His grace abounds. You know, God is more forgiving than any of us are. Sometimes we we don't even understand it. The Pharisees didn't understand it. It's like, how can you, Jesus, how can you be with these sinners? Even some of us are like, well, I know God forgives, but 
until they do this, until they do that. And God says no. When, when the adulterous woman, she's caught in adultery, God knows where the man was. Jesus said, go leave your life of sin. And everybody's like, what? That's it? That's it? You're forgiven. We're like, oh, no, 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 wait a minute now. I, I, I can't be that, can't be that easy. Well, the hard part is remaining righteous. But I'm here to tell you right now, wherever you are, the grace of God abounds. God's grace is more than able to forgive all your sin instantly. Instantly. Let's look at this scripture. And we're going to close out with the prayer. Psalm 103. We know the scripture. David wrote this too. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives what, church? Forgives what? All your sins. And heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord knows works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse normally his heart. He harbors anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can I get an amen on that? He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far, he removed our transgressions from us. Now, if it was up to us, David would have no longer been king. It's over, David. Your king, turn in your kingship badge. Give us the crown, buddy. You're done. That's not what God did. That's not what God did. Life was difficult for David after this. But God still loved him. And God still forgave him. You see, I want to encourage you today. I want you to think about what is the sin or the sins that are dogging your feet? What is it? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it laziness? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it selfishness? What is it? I want you to make a decision today. I'm confessing. I'm repenting. I'm going to give it over to God. And I'm going to accept His forgiveness. And it's done. I'm going to accept it. Because I understand that it is by grace that I have been saved. I want you to think about it. Whatever that is, whatever it is for you, I want you to think about it. I want you to decide right now. I'm putting it behind me. I'm putting it behind me right now. 
And I'm going to trust God and His Word. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed this sin from me. Let's pray together. God, Father in heaven, we come before you. God, we confess that we're sinners. Father, right now, whatever it is that we've kept hidden, whatever it is that we've repeatedly fallen into and struggled with, we ask you right now, God, to forgive us, to strengthen us, to help us to embrace your love, your compassion, your mercy. And Father, understand in in doing that, we defeat sin and we defeat the devil because he wants to burden us with guilt. He wants us to, to, to hold on to it and not to accept your amazing grace. And God, not only forgive us, but please strengthen us. Fill us with your spirit. Give us what we need to fight the good fight. Help us to put on the full armor of God. And Father, help us to walk according to your word and according to your righteousness. Thank you for these lessons that we can learn from David, from his failures. But God, thank you even more for Jesus and the victory through the cross. We praise you for him. We praise you, God, that we can walk out of here with as white as snow, redeemed, whole before you. Thank you for your love. We ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Amen, church. Winston, that was in the heart of Amen.